Hello, and welcome to another episode of Other Record Labels. I'm Scott Orr. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe. Please tell an industry friend or fellow musician or producer or record label owner about the podcast. That really helps. We have some incredible episodes coming up that we've already pre-recorded, and we've been getting some great suggestions from you emailing in at podcast at otherrecordlabels.com or via Twitter at other songs or Instagram at otherrecordlabels.com. Instagram or whatever. Um, thank you for those suggestions. We've been we've been reaching out and we've been talking with some some more labels and we have months of of episodes and more great ones to come. So thanks for doing that. Incredible downloads. This is our our third episode of 2019. The first episode was with Sub Pop, and that broke our record for single day downloads. And then two weeks later with Bayonet Records, we broke the record again for single day downloads. Today, I talk with Chuck of Tiny Engines. Everybody loves Tiny Engines. All through my feed, I hear people talk about this label, Home to Wild Pink, which was a great record, by the way, uh, this past year, Illuminati Hotties, Restorations. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks to Chuck for being on the show. It's been a, uh, like, just the last uh, 24 hours uh, or less, I've been, like, kind of really diving into Tiny Engines, and it's been it's been really fun. <laughs> well, we have a pretty extensive catalog. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Been around for ten years, so yeah. Well, I don't. Um, ten years, really? Is that like ten years exactly? Uh, I, I feel like we just reached our ten ten year anniversary not too long ago. I mean, we didn't really do anything special oh. for it, except you know, I think Will made a tweet about it. But, really? Uh, oh, so you didn't do like a campaign or a sale or anything? No, I mean that's cool. I, I've thought about that in the past, but it that stuff like that takes takes a lot of extra time and effort right. and you know you have to have something uh planned and i don't know we're so busy typically you know and our yeah. bands are so busy it's just I mean, for the for the most part it's me and will and there's a, a guy carl who who works half time so you know i think i think people some people have the misconception that we're a big indie label <laughs> yeah. with a in a big office with a bunch of employees, sure. but really it's, it's just uh two and a half of us. Right. Yeah. The, the ironic thing is like, I've talked to like a few, quite a few labels who are like just coming out of their 10th year or approaching their 10th year. I don't know. Like there must've been something in 2008 or 2007 that was uh, um, inspiring to start a label. <laughs> maybe, maybe. It's because it was just it's captured tracks. I think ten year right now. Yeah. I think. Um. Anyway. I feel that that's probably. I feel like that's probably more of just a coincidence. Okay. <laughs> you I'm don't think there think, was anything? Like, was there anything special that uh, I mean, other than us randomly deciding we wanted to start up a label? Yeah. Uh, you know, and it was always. You know, at the beginning, it was always just supposed to be a hobby type thing. Um, but yeah, I don't think there was any like big life events at that. Well, personally, but not anything that right. really ties into the greater overall scheme of, of indie rock. Right. But, uh, you never know. I mean, it's, it's pretty rare in general for a, a, a small label to make it more than a few years. You know, you're totally right. And I think that if people have made it 10 years, you've probably heard of them because it's, uh, yeah, it's it's such a challenge. And 10 years, I mean, that's a really long time and it's 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 not when you when you think of like, 
you know, major corporations been around for a hundred years or, or you, or, you know, your grandparents wedding anniversary, but like, it's so much happens in one year. And I think for a label to make it two years is a huge deal. Yeah. Let alone 10. It, it, it is. I mean, it's, you know, the number one reason is why, because it's, it's, it's hard to make a living from this business. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of labels will start out and they'll do it, you know, as a hobby, release a couple of things, of, you know, a couple of releases per year and, and kind of go on that, on that course for a few years. And, and then I think, you know, then it becomes something like, well, you know, this is just a hobby. Do I have time for this? You know, I'm doing other things in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot of indie labels don't necessarily, it's not so much that they close down as much as they just fizzle out, yeah, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, and, and there's, there's quite frankly, there's a, there's a ton of luck involved in this business. Really? I mean, well, just in terms of, of the bands you work with, because, you know, you can, you can put out the greatest records in the world and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to catch on. I mean, I feel like we have, obviously we, we put out some really great records. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think, I think they're all great. Mm-hmm. And obviously when I say that, I mean that there's some in terms of revenue and money and popularity that have done better than the others. They've but, just connected with people for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, a, a, I, I will say a big part of that is uh, obviously all the parts have to be there, you know, in terms of, the promotion and the marketing and the distribution and of course the bands touring mm-hmm. really helps. There's obvious, there's, there's always a direct correlation between bands touring and, um, how well a record does. Okay. But, uh, you and, know, there's, and there's, sorry, not just, not just album sales from, from the show, but actually you see it when the <laughs> bands on tour, their Spotify is doing better. Is that true? Um, I don't know about Spotify. Uh, well, um, generally speaking, I mean, sometimes it's hard to make a direct correlation, Mm -hmm. but listen, if a band is active and doing stuff, generally that means people are more interested in that band Hmm. because listen, there's, I, I, I know from experience, we've, we've released plenty of records where great, great records, but not really much support from the bands and, and, and a great record can only go so far because you know, people want to yeah. be engaged by a band. They want to go see them on tour. They want to keep up with them via social media and yeah. all that. Yeah. And if you're not, if you don't do that, then people just get kind of bored. And and by people, I mean not only fans, but but press, press and yeah. uh, retail people, the people that are buying the records. I mean, mm. people are generally more interested in active bands. Uh so, and that doesn't mean if you're active, you're going to have instant success. I mean, believe me, we work mm-hmm. with a ton of bands who do DIY touring all the time, and it doesn't always translate into mm-hmm. into sales. Um, but it's certainly a big factor. And just in general, you know, I've always said that the best way for for a band to connect with fans is for those you know for those fans to see the band in a live setting. Because there's, I mean, there's just something special about that. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it does something so much more than discovering that band on a Spotify playlist, which True. is cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's part of it as well. But 
Yeah, I mean, every you music know. fan has their own pathway um, that, that to get to, to connect to the artist. But uh, yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. When you're talking about being uh, being around for ten years and making it work, when you're talking about the, I mean, you guys had a lot of records this year. Are, is there a correlation with how many releases you do in a year that that connects with with um, success or or survivability for a label do you have like a set goal that we need to do one a month or or anything uh, like that yeah i mean there, there is a balance for sure because on one hand you can't overextend yourself and do too many because inevitably something's not going to get the attention it deserves right so you don't want to you don't want to overextend yourself and, and that's you know in terms of budgets and money that also applies as well because <laughs> sure. Obviously, an indie label only has so much that they can contribute towards towards a record mm-hmm. or for or a full year's worth of releases, you know. But on the other hand, you want to stay active and and again keep people interested, keep them engaged, keep them excited for what comes next. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to, and you have to continue to to develop new bands. I right. mean. You know, we right now we have our 2019 schedule pretty much set, and there's <laughs> that's great. <laughs> seriously, that's amazing. Seriously, there's yeah. only room. There might be room for like one more, one or two more full lengths, maybe a couple digital only EP releases. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah. And, and and it's and there's you know it's probably half bands that we've that we that we have worked with or are currently working with who are releasing you know their second record with mm-hmm, us mm-hmm. and then and then half are probably brand new bands that we're developing for for the future for that, past that you that know you had been you'd been developing back earlier this year yeah and 2020 right. is probably going to be a bunch of bands that we worked with this year right. on their first records yeah. honestly so yeah. you have to continue that's amazing to grow and and evolve and keep people excited about things but yes i mean but but yeah getting overextended is an issue yeah Yeah. especially when you only have as many people as we do so yeah right i noticed that you know that that got me thinking about like occasionally i see i'll get an email from some a band who wants to um get help from a label or whatnot and and they'll say like we have a new record and we're hoping to release it next month and we're looking for label representation next month yeah Yeah, sure (laughs) and the funny thing is it's like i mean even even really small labels who are who are able to release a record you know with maybe only two or three weeks notice um the most labels that i'm talking to are are like like you and then you're saying are sending these emails and prep working on things that may not see the light of day until uh, January or February in 2020, and that's yeah. you know that's interesting. Uh, and a, a lot of indie artists aren't aren't fully aware of that, and maybe are a little bit um, annoyed by that because they're almost sick of these songs at the point that it's <laughs> by the point that it's mastered. Well, yeah, and and you know we get that too when even one of our bands submits mixes or masters, and they're like, "Oh, great, let's you know we're ready to go." Yeah. And I'm like, "Dude, I mean, just in general, turn turnaround time for vinyl is sure months and months. Right. Yeah. You know, at least four or five, if not more. I mean, you gotta, you know, everything is a process, and and even when. You know, even when the record is complete and I have product, 
to send to our distro. Our distro requires that they have everything five weeks before the release date. Oh so that's gosh. another yeah. Yeah. more than a month. And, you know, Will does most of the PR stuff, and that takes, that has a pretty long lead time. And, you know, the stuff that our distributor does in terms of uh, pitching stuff to the digital service providers like Spotify and Apple right. Music, right. that has a, has a lead time. So, sure. sure, I mean, if you're a tiny little band and you've never released anything and... Your buddy has a cassette label, and 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 they're like, "We want to help out." Then you can get something out within a month, but there, I mean, there's not going to be anything well else yeah. associated with that. And everybody oh, I talk to, I talk me. to PR people, I talk to playlisting people. Everything the the strength in for a DIY artist is is lead time is is giving yourself. A, a, a lot of time and i think you know i had a record this year that was done in may and it was scheduled to release in the end of october and there was something like th- it was good for my mental health to have that lead time to just relax know the record was done and to just think about things who should i contact you know what little initiative should i do when october comes around and yeah. i found it to be a really peaceful process um and and i got a lot of respect i think from people that i was contacting too yeah, I mean, it always helps to give yourself plenty of time. And, and and also because, you know, really, if you're putting out, especially with vinyl, there's so much that you can't control. I mean, right, there's right, right, right. so often I'm telling bands like, listen, I'm I'm talking with my, my rep every day. I'm pushing. You know, we've got all these things that we've, all the stuff that we needed to submit, it's been submitted. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really out of my hands, and yeah. and I'm not blaming it on the the manufacturing plant because you know because they're also dealing with their own set of problems like like machines breaking down or right. or press operators quitting right. or someone in the shipping department quitting or, or a, a, a plate or a stamper breaking yeah, and yeah. you know having to to re replate something so. You know, it's just or half a, a million of copies is, of the Little Mermaid that they have to press. <laughs> when you're when you're dealing with vinyl in particular, it's a lot of you know, it's gonna be done when it's gonna be done. So you better plan for a long release time. And believe me, we I mean recently this in the last half of twenty eighteen we've missed a lot of release dates because we had like two records in particular who were at the beginning of the queue and both of them just, it was just like a huge run of bad luck. Oh no. With like test pressing issues and then plating issues and it just took so long and that caused everything else to be backed up as well because, you know, we're, you know, we're still a small label. So while I have a good relationship with the plant, you know, my rep can really only push one thing at a time. Right. You know, yeah. she can't push everything right. at the same time. So, That's true. Yeah, yeah. And it was just unfortunate. I felt bad and we did our we we did the best we could, but you know, at the end of the day it probably would it would have benefited us to maybe hold off on setting those release dates until we had you know, I think we set the release dates well before we had the test pressing. Right. So, you know, yeah, probably, that's good advice. That's good advice. Yeah, yeah. It's so hard to Which be is, patient for it is. especially for artists. Because there's always, you know, there's at the beginning of the process, I, I'm always making estimates like, well, it should take this long and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And, and then they hold you that. To 
yeah, I mean, it, it almost never works out that yeah. way, unfortunately. So. I, I, one, um, when I talked to, to, I did an interview with Sub Pop, and and their release time, their lead time is twenty two weeks. They want to have the masters in hand, and they need twenty two weeks to, to, to uh, from a masters to a release date. And I thought, I mean, that might be a bit extreme for for smaller labels, but um, I thought that was a really interesting number that stuck in my head. Essentially, a half a year. Yeah, I mean. That would be, you know, in my eyes, that would be plenty of time. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, twenty-two weeks from when they get the when they get the masters, masters. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that is on the longer side, but again, that leaves you with tons of space to mm-hmm. to operate. And they're, you know, they're releasing a lot more records than we are, so they probably have that. That probably gives them flexibility to move things around. Um, and I guess I imagine like if you're getting if you're doing a pressing of a thousand or two thousand copies, uh, it's it, there's probably more that can go wrong or or um, it, it could be a, a, a more difficult pro- process if you're pressing fifty thousand copies, right, or twenty five thousand copies. Um, I really don't know if the size of the pressing matters. No. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing this a long time, and I'm I'm the one who usually handles all the manufacturing end of things. So, um, yeah, I don't know if smaller. I mean, and we're pretty laid back when it comes to to colors, you oh, know, yeah. vinyl colors. Because is that that's what takes time? Well, I can tell you one of the things that takes time. Like, say we do a pressing of a thousand, and we got like two hundred is a special split fifty fifty color, mm-hmm. and three hundred. Yeah is another opaque color and then 500 is black. All three of those will get pressed on different machines. Uh, um, I mean, if, if it's just like three colors, then yes, yeah, sometimes they're all in the same machine, but yeah, like black gets done in a different machine than right, the split, right. than the split vinyl and then colors get done. I mean, I couldn't tell you exactly how it works, sure. but yeah, we have, we have stuff coming out at different times within one pressing um oh I so see. i know i mean like yeah. if, if i was if i was a label and time was the most important thing to me i don't know if the number of the you know the total quantity of pressing would matter all that much right unless, yeah yeah because you're just- unless you know i don't know if i don't know with bigger pressings if you know when 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 a records get pressed, you know plates and stampers break all the time. That happens, mm-hmm. and usually you can the plants can fix that within a couple of days. Um, and I don't know if sometimes there's more if if it's a bigger problem with bigger pressings or if if the the issue with stampers breaking is more of a press operator issue. Okay. Um, but if, like I was saying, if if timing was the most important thing to me as a label, I would just do one color, oh, and that would probably get it out a little quicker. Right. And I don't, yeah. I don't know if the size of that pressing would necessarily matter. Hmm. Probably, what would matter more is who was actually pressing that. Oh, you know, yeah. who was the person who was actually pressing that? If it was someone who was experienced and knew what they were doing, yeah, yeah, we'd probably be all good. But if it was some new person who was just getting trained. You may have some issues, right? No, that's true. I, listen, I noticed on your website you accept demos. Have you ever signed a band from an online submission? 
You know, honestly, I've, I, I've actually had this conversation with a couple people right. within the past year because yeah. we we do listen to everything i mean it might take us a while and yeah you must we get may a lot. only get we may only get through a track or two uh because <laughs> a lot of times you can tell sure, i sure, mean sure. you're just like yeah. okay this is not for us yeah uh that's a but, kind way um, to put it i don't know if See, like I said, I've had this conversation, and I can't remember what the the I, answer ended up being. Like, if we've ever actually really, uh, you don't know if any of your bands a totally unsolicited demo. Because right. usually, it, it seems like a big chunk of the bands we work with end up being recommendations from like current yes, artists, sure. like bands we're friends with. Um, you know, and and the the band may submit something and be like, Hey, yeah, you know, we're friends with blah, blah, blah. And they told us to send this in or whatever. There, there usually is some connection. I don't know if there's ever really been anything where there's been like no connection. (laughs) I'd really have to have to look through. I've, I've had this conversation too with some labels and, uh, it always surprises me how like uh, there's been a few labels that I've talked to on this, on this podcast where they've said they have signed people from, from a, a cold email. But that really surprises me. It's rare, but you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure if you're a bigger label like Sub Pop or Merge or something like that, you're going to have, I mean, number one, you're going to get more submissions, but you're probably going to get more submissions from really good bands too that mm. are just like, hey, we love Merge. Yeah. <laughs> That's then, right. I mean, because, you know, Tiny Engines, we, we've done well, but. To some extent, we're still we're still an unknown. I mean, but it, you know, if you're a band within the scene that we work with, you probably know us. But if sure. you're just some well, one some of the, random band that one of the problems you know, I've heard from people about online submissions is that, and this even happens with us, a super small label. But one of the things I I've seen is that bands or young artists will, if if they think that they like them or their band sounds like artists on your label, then they'll submit a demo and be like, Hey, we sound exactly like these guys on your label. Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, so we think we'll be a good fit when in reality, in the, a lot of the labels I've talked to, um, and I know that capture tracks has got a lot of Mac DeMarco sounding demos submitted to them, but yeah. you know, a, they're just a, a lot of labels are saying, we're not looking for more of what we already have. They're always, you know, people are looking for something new. Yeah, but you're if you're a band too, you know that 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 certainly is true. Like, obviously, you don't want anything that reminds you of another band on the label. Mm. I mean, not at least not maybe maybe there could be some similarities. Sure, but, sure. You know, I think if you're a band, obviously, if if, if there's, I think each label has a certain aesthetic. You know, yeah, so if, yeah, if I you agree. if if you're a band who knows your shit and you're 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 familiar with different mm-hmm. types of music and different types of scenes and stuff that you know that's what i would do like does it make do you does your band make sense on this label and mm-hmm. that you know that doesn't mean do you sound like the rest of the band yeah. it just means yeah. do you have like you know you you should know what this label is about and what type of bands they work with and uh yeah i mean i think like tiny engines i think there's lots of diversity on the roster but you know for the most part i think we've always been pretty proud of how you know we'll release something and and chances are you know you'll like it if you like tiny engines chances are even if 
you know, maybe it's not something you typically listen to, but if you gave it a chance and you like the rest of our catalog, you'd probably like, you know, band X yeah. or whatever it is. So, so some of your records I've found have, and, and I mean, I think you've talked about this on other interviews, but you have that kind of early two thousands, late nineties emo sound of them. Is that, you know, strange Ranger came out this year. Were, were, were you influenced by that emo era at all? Or? Uh, sure. I mean, and that's probably more of what we were in the beginning, I would say. Like, okay. if you go back to the very early catalog, there yeah. was a lot more what I would call quote-unquote emo. Sure. But, I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, I worked at, I don't know if you're familiar with Deep Elm Records. Uh, they no. did. Well, they did, like, um, they put out, like, the first five Appleseed cast records. Uh, they did, I don't know if you, if you recall the Emo Diaries series. Uh, no, it doesn't sound familiar. I have to look it up. Yeah, this. I mean, this was back in the early 2000s. Uh, well, actually, I, I started working in the early 2000s, uh, but okay, the label yeah. started in late 99. Um, Where were you working before the label? Uh, nowhere. Uh, you know, I graduated college, okay. and I was, I was living at home trying to figure out, you know, applying right. for jobs, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I happened to be a fan of the label, and they were looking for someone... So I sort of, you know, like, why not? Let's submit a resume. And yeah. it took it, it took a while. Like, I had sort of forgotten, not forgotten about it, but was like, oh, this uh, that's obviously not going to happen. It was mm -hmm. a shot in the dark anyways. But yeah, yeah I eventually the, the guy who owned the label called me for an interview. And I that's how I ended up in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, okay. Um, and that's where I learned... You know, I was into music before that. In college, I had a radio show. I did a, I did a little zine. I, uh, you know, I would go to to as many shows as I could. My, I was in a, I was in a pretty small town, but mm -hmm. not not that far from Baltimore and DC. Um, so I would do go to shows. You know, I, and in college, I was probably like more into punk stuff. Right. Um, but uh, so yeah, when I got to Deep Elm, that's where I kind of learned. What you know, my biggest. What job did you apply for there? Was it just an internship? It was just or? like a general, it wasn't an internship, but it was kind of like a do everything. Yeah, and yeah. my major was like rhetoric and writing slash communications. Okay. Um, so, you know, when I got there, I did a lot of bio writing and, you know, I learned, that's where I learned a lot of the PR stuff and I did college radio. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, there, it was just me and the owner. So I kind of learned everything. Um mm. And Will actually worked there for like, I want to say two or three years. And he did like the mail order at oh, first. Wow. Is that so where you where met I, him? Yeah, that's where I met Will. Because wow. um, uh, he was a fan of Deep Elm. So uh, anyways, that's sort of where I got my start. And I worked there for about eight years. And then I eventually, the guy who owned the label was sort of, it was during the time where, you know, downloads, illegal downloading was becoming really prevalent and mm -hmm. we just weren't selling records. And he had started to get into licensing, you know, licensing song from television and movies and commercials. Right. Um, but he was like selling off most of the physical catalog. And I don't know, I just kind of saw the writing on the wall. It was like, maybe I need to start thinking about my own thing. Mm -hmm. So that's when I kind of broke off and started um, a PR company called Bear Trap PR. Okay. And, you know, I did that for quite a few years, but that's where I 
you know, I wanted to offer PR services for smaller DIY type bands, um, you know, bands within that, that emo punk scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's funny, actually, some of the, the first few, few bands I ever worked with were, were actually some relatively, uh, let me see, let me, let me pull up some names well, here. Oh, well, I was just noticing on, um, on uh, Deep Elm Records that like right going r- really far back, there's a not a surf release. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the first seven inches he did. Wow, because um, he was he was first base in New York City. Okay, uh, yeah, Deep Elm has quite a history, and now he does. Like you'll see, he has a bunch of, you know, over the past ten years, there's a bunch of stuff, but he's not really releasing physical records he's he's really more focusing on licensing stuff so a lot of the wow. stuff a lot of the current artists you'll see are um like play more like atmospheric post-rock stuff oh, yeah. stuff that yeah. sounds like he has one band lights in motion that i think he's done a ton of stuff with in terms of like movies and trailers and well, that seemed to be, I mean, back in this era you're talking about, like pro- probably like the mid-2000s, there was this, that was the shift. The shift was to, to movies and television whenever the, the decline of the CD started happening. And I remember, too, that, because I had a few friends who got some placements in their bands, because what was happening was they were, um, maybe you're familiar with this, but they, when, you know that... Um, really popular time where they were putting TV shows on DVD box sets. And apparently like, because they were digitizing these TV series, they didn't have the music licenses that they did, that they bought in the eighties and nineties. And so they had to replace all of those music syncs with modern songs. So a lot of these like super small indie bands were getting placements on like party of five or whatever, you know, just because they, um, they didn't have the rights to to burn them to DVD or to put them on iTunes. Oh, interesting. So there's kind of this, so I, I kind of know what you're talking about. Like when the CD started declining, I think a lot of people were looking at, um, you know, TV shows like the OC and all of that, like Warner brothers stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that John from deep Elm was, you know, I, I think he was looking for a way to stay within the music industry, but maybe not actually, be forced to release like physical records because it is you know everything a a label puts out is a big risk so so you saw the you you saw the writing on the wall did you did you leave on your own or did things kind of like shut down there how did your label come out of this well yeah i left on my own but he you know believe me it was you know a long process so for uh, when i first started bear trap you know i think i was still also working at at tiny or um deep elm part-time uh and he eventually you know like i said he wanted to sell off his catalog mm. um so he kind of did that and then he moved to us he moved to an apartment in charlotte but then he actually ended up moving to hawaii which is where he still is <laughs> that's great uh yeah so um yeah i did i did bear trap for quite a while and and then Will actually came on and started doing Bear Trap as well. Hmm. Uh, and we sort of, you know, for a while we had just tossed around the idea of starting sort of like a hobby label and releasing cool things from bands we liked and not really taking it that seriously. So that's, I mean, I don't want to, 
we did take it seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But were the bands you no, were working with were they from Deep Elm or no, no they're from Bear Trap. The no, PR I know, company. But, but yeah, but where did you find these bands to to do to do oh, their PR? Well, you know, it 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 was a lot of connections I had made uh, from Tiny or from <laughs> from Deep Elm, right. um, but no bands that were directly Deep Elm bands, except uh, I think the first band I ever worked with was Jenna Berlin, who had a song. Deep Elm had a another compilation series called this is indie rock and they had jenna berlin had one song mm. um so i did i did uh make that connection and jenna berlin if you're not familiar is three of the guys who are now in restorations okay so i go back with restorations wow. with john dave and jeff for <laughs> more than 10 years probably that's great 13 or 14 um but yeah, I mean, like I, you know, I was still obviously, you know, I was involved in music, so I knew a lot of people and I knew a lot of people in the scene. So it wasn't like super hard to find young bands to work with mm-hmm. for the for the PR stuff. Right. Um like some of the like Look Mexico was one of the first bands I ever worked with for for Bear Trap okay. and um a band called the Ackleys, which is Katie and Allison Crutchfield from Waxahachie and swearing okay. their first their first band when they were still in high school, which is an awesome. They have a great discography of I think it's just a full length and an EP, but really great. If you're into right. if you're anything if you're into anything that they do, then I would definitely go back and check it out. Um, what did PR look like back then? So we're talking. What are we talking here? The the mid mid 2000s late 2000s yeah yeah like like uh, i think i started bear trap in i want to say 2006 okay 2007 and were there you know, blogs was, what what was that? yeah who yeah, were people was, you were I going mean, after was, this was uh, this was still back in the time where you know bands would send me 200 cds yeah and i'd send yeah, those out yeah. and there was just like so <laughs> many more outlets yeah you know and it wasn't about getting a song premiere you know it was more about like reviews and interviews right and there was like tons of blogs that would review stuff and and magazines obviously and and print magazines were still in the picture too yeah so um yeah i mean and and i did that for a while and will came on and then like i said we started thinking about just doing like working starting a small label that would that would be like sort of low pressure but stuff we wanted to support mm-hmm. um and that's you know our first release was that seven inch by look mexico uh and and look mexico was a band i had worked with with bear trap and then our second release was a seven inch from tiger's jaw again i worked tiger's jaw tiger's jaw first seven or first full length which at that time was just on some Scranton label, some small Scranton label, and I worked that to press. Um, and on, so, it, why honestly, the first why didn't you call that? it Bear Trap? Like why? New well, label? because it was two different things. Okay. I mean, um, you know, I think we wanted that separation, right. which it, sure. at the end of the day probably was good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, w- I would say the first seven eight nine things we released i think had all had some sort of tie to bear trap um and that still exists now you still work on no no um will will had i stopped doing it because tiny engines had just gotten so busy and Mm -hmm. uh, 
on a personal on the personal side i had i had had kids i have okay. two kids now so I, and i was working at home so i was also kind of taking care of them and it had just become way too much to do bear trap tiny engines and take care of my boys yeah uh so and tiny engines was getting busier and more popular so uh i just decided to you know kind of go for it and focus on tiny engines and will will kept bear trap going for a while and then he eventually just start i mean bear trap still existed but he was pretty much just doing tiny engines releases and now i mean will still does pretty much most of the pr for the label but bear trap as a company doesn't really exist anymore. i mean the website's still up okay uh, so you guys I, I don't know when the last release when the last non tiny engines release right right when that was but. so essentially though you do have in-house pr we do but, in, but just it's, for tiny engines. it's not yeah. really known as bear trap okay. PR anymore that's uh, great yeah. Um, before you, before we move out of the 2000s here, did you see that Weezer sketch on SNL? Well, where do you stand on, on Weezer's I, I catalog? Haven't, I haven't seen. You haven't that seen yet. it? It's, no, no, it's no. Really we, good. we usually, um, my wife and I usually do watch all the new episodes on Hulu. You know, <laughs> the day or two after. We just, you know, the holidays. It's been hard to. We haven't watched it yet, but I'm sure we will. It, yeah. But it, uh, but Weezer. I'm not. I'm not like a huge Weezer fan, so. Uh, you know, I like them fine, but I'm not a I'm not a super Weezer fan. It's funny that there's not a surf on the Deep Elm catalog because I was listening to, and I don't know if if you've ever made this connection, but I was listening to the Wild Pink album, and I will get to that later because I've listened to it maybe four times straight in the past like six hours, and it's one of these records I just seem to have missed, even though I saw the artwork so much in my social feed, but I finally got a chance to listen to it, and it's phenomenal. Um, yeah. But I hear like a, a kind of similarities to Not A Surf like in his yeah, voice. Yeah, for sure. I, I can definitely see that. Um, you know, to that, I to Not A Surf, I mean, there's Wild Pink tends to get compared to like uh, War On Drugs, and um, like even Dawes, like Tom... Maybe, or- Tom Petty and Tom Petty, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Springsteen, um, yeah. There's a classic sound to it for sure. Yeah, and that's a great sounding record. I think that. Oh my you know, goodness! The, the song, the so songs beautiful. are great. The songwriting is great, but I will also say, like in terms of like recording and mixing and mastering, that might be one of the best records we've ever put out. So right, like right, from, right, from right. top to bottom, like everything about that Absolutely. record is awesome. And there is this thing, like sequencing is is so phenomenal on that record. Yeah, and anytime that people connect one song to the next, then they've got me hooked. But that was a. Uh, a, such a great record and it that's the blessing of doing this show is that i i saw you know uh, the illuminati hotties and wild pink showed up in my in my social media feed several times this year um just because of the labels and the and the press that i follow so i see that artwork all the time but for some reason like you just never stop to take a listen or you you know yeah. it's just one of those records you'd never got a chance to listen to and so then when i put on wild pink today or yesterday uh, i like I have literally played it front to back like four or five times and it's just so beautiful. Same with Illuminati. Yeah, it yeah. was great too, but yeah. I agree. I mean, obviously there is a lot of music out there, so it's hard to listen to it all. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. I'm sure there's tons of stuff I missed as well. <laughs> um, talking about, you know, those two records, Illuminati Hotties, which has got a lot of attention this year and it's such a great record too. Um, 
Operox named you guys best label of, of 2018. What do you think uh, uh, 2018 was so great for you guys? Like what, where did the creativity uh, come from? <laughs> where do I think it came from? Yeah. I mean, I, I think we have a strong catalog every year, but you know, <laughs> this year was definitely, I mean, you have those releases like Wild Pink and Illuminati Hotties and, you know, the Restorations record has got a lot yes, of yeah. really positive reviews and feedback. And Spirit of the Beehive, that's another one. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things where you had, you know, you have a handful of records that are just getting all sorts of critical praise. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's hard for me to comment on that because, you know... Yeah, yeah, I like it all. Yeah, yeah, it's it's I know hard. I know. It's not like I could I could choose favorites, but you, you know, there is no doubt that you know, listening to that Wild Pink record and that Illuminati's Highs record and the Restorations and even like Spirit of the Beehive, that's something where you know, in my head, I'm like, people are gonna people are gonna like these records. <laughs> you know, there's is not it, much doubt. Is there pressure to top that though? Well, I. I not really. I mean, maybe for some people, but I don't. You can't really. I don't know. If if you go if you, if if that's what you're if that's how you're operating your label, like yeah. oh, I got to find something to yeah. top these. No, I mean, you're, sure. you're never you're never gonna do it because it's just it's too hard. You just have to work with. You just have to try to work with really great bands and and see what happens. Mm. And you know, hopefully they. <laughs> Hopefully they write amazing records, which usually they do. I mean, there's there's stuff in 2019 I'm super stoked on yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, like 2018, you have those records. But I mean, people love that awake but still in re- bed record, and that's you know that's more like a throwback to to emo and punk of the early mm-hmm. 2000s or even mm-hmm. late 90s. Right. Uh, I, and people love that band. Uh, I, that that alien boy record is amazing. Like that's one that I personally championed and I was really excited when people, people really, you know, that band isn't as big as as wild pink or, or Illuminati hotties, but, but the people who have listened to that record, really, it really connects with them. Um, and I think that's what makes a great diverse year in your catalog is whenever there are these critical darlings, but then there's also these things where the diehard fans are, you know, yeah, so or excited. or just or just you know, in general, we've always worked with younger, sort of relatively unknown bands, and our 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 niches, I think, trying to build those bands up. And and the first half of 2018 was a bunch of uh, like younger bands that we did digital EPs for or digital cassette only releases, mm-hmm. and and like Longneck. That was, I think, that was the first release of 2018, and and that's an awesome record, and people love that record. And they're recording their follow up, which will get, you know, that'll probably get a a, a proper vinyl release. And hmm. those guys toured a ton and did really great. So that's you know, um, Oceanator. We did mm-hmm. a we did that EP that um, did really well, and they toured with like Pedal and Camp Cope, and they're. Hmm. They're working on their first full length. Um, so when it comes to these bands, I remember when I talked to um, Trouble in Mind Records from Chicago, they're a, a husband uh, and wife duo, and they have a rule that they'll never sign a band that they both don't love. Do you and Will have that uh, that same marital agreement? 
You know, for the most part, I would say yes. Yeah. Like for the most part, Will and I both have to be really into it. Okay. Um, but there have certainly been cases where, you know, either Will or I are more into something. But, you know, as long as it's something that the other one really believes in and then also that band is going to, you can tell that band is going to work hard, mm-hmm. then sure. There have been cases like that. But, um, it, you know, but for the most part, you know, I, I think Will and I have very different tastes, but at the same time, we we also seem to like a lot of the same stuff too. So I don't know what it is. You know, I think people, you know, in the past we've been asking interviews, like, how do you choose bands? Or like, what do you look for? And I can't really answer that real well other than, you know, just stuff we like. And, you know, to some extent, like I said, it has to, number one has to be stuff we really, really love. Number two, I would say it's pretty much got to be bands that work hard because i mean we've learned that occasional occasionally we'll we'll release something where we know it's probably not going to get much support Mm -hmm. from the band we just love it so much that we want to put it out but you know we've learned that those releases are just going to be like basically they're going to be a loss in terms of money because you know if the band's not supporting it, it's if you're especially if you're an indie label, there's just nothing you, you can do. Yeah, yeah. To make people care, other than people who are willing to blindly check something out, or you know, um, and then you know, I would say, but I, I don't think like you know, and I, I think we try to find stuff that sounds like Tiny Engines while still being diverse, and you know, we try to shake things up, you know, but you can't get like, you know, there's 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 hip hop stuff that Will and I like, but you know, at this point, I don't know. It, it'd be hard to make that leap because just you know, I just don't know if we'd be the right label to release that, and we don't you know, we don't necessarily have those contacts in that in that world either to do it to do a the uh, proper job of it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, yeah, we we'll, we'll, we just basically try and release records we love from from bands that work hard and that's sort of the the formula and i can't really go beyond that because everything else is just a crapshoot basically you said something we're going to talk about streaming for a second you said something that i read that i found really interesting you feel like streaming is a double-edged sword what do you mean by that and is it true that your digital and physical sales are relatively similar yeah yeah i mean we are the type of label that uh you know the bands that we work with and the kind of scene that they're involved in are are made up largely of kids and well mm-hmm. kids and adults sure. yeah, younger uh, audience, yeah who still who, who like vinyl i mean that's the scene mm-hmm. that that we're involved with in, in that underground indie rock punk type thing where vinyl is still a an important aspect mm-hmm. of of what we are and and how our bands operate uh so yeah it has remained relatively consistent in terms you know like that 50 50 split i mean maybe even i can't i can't talk to 2018 yet because the year's not done sure. but it's probably going to be similar That's uh, cool. why do you think yeah. streaming is a double-edged sword well i mean it's streaming is on one hand streaming is good because it's it's like instant gratification. I mean, it is cool to 
you know, maybe read about a band and be like, am I going to like this band and, and be able to listen to everything from that band <laughs> instantly? <laughs> that is cool. Yeah. It's I true. will not doubt that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it has cut into labels overall revenue. Uh, you know, it has made selling records harder mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it has, you know, there, there is something to say to be said about, how it used to be where you know i i I think before streaming you know you were able to foster more of a community between bands and 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 fans Mm -hmm. and uh you know i don't know i mean mean, that's not gone completely i mean it probably and it's probably it's probably hurt magazines you know print magazines are probably been hurt by that and and You know, it's true that, you know, someone could listen to one of our bands like a hundred times on Spotify and they, you know, the amount of money they would get from that is not even close to what they would get from like someone just buying a record. Right. So yeah. that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, totally. So in terms of, you know, in like the compensation that that artists get from that is kind of shitty. But mm-hmm. I mean, it is some, don't get me wrong, you know, which the streaming revenue isn't terrible, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's a general consensus, the double-edged sword analogy. I mean, that 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 is the general consensus. And I think the funny thing, too, is a lot of label owners who are uh, in the position to potentially criticize streaming are the ones who are also, you know, enjoy, as music listeners, enjoy the smorgasbord of... <laughs> of getting to to dive into someone's entire catalog. I mean, even just like looking into tiny engines in the past 24 hours, I've had the ability to, you know, to relax and listen to four or five records in full, um, you know, where I, yeah. I, to prep for this five years ago, I would have been listening to 30 second samples on iTunes. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the way I choose to look at something, you know, like Spotify or Apple music is that, it is a tool to help to help us uh, meet demand, and you know our job as a label and the band too is to is to create that demand and and hopefully encourage people to listen and get them excited to listen and mm-hmm. and, and and you know there's millions of not millions there's tons of ways you can discover or listen to a band and Spotify is just one of them. And so you got, you got to kind of see it as a tool. I mean, I know a lot of, a lot of people put a heavy emphasis on, on, on pitching to the, the playlisters, you know, getting on a big playlist, which is cool. I mean, believe me, it's cool to get on a big playlist (laughs) and it results in a little bit of a bump of in, in, in income. Mm -hmm. Uh, but not a crazy amount, and just because you're on a big playlist doesn't really doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, you have to be doing other things to, yeah. to like yeah. I said, to help create that demand. If there's no, if, there, if your band has no demand, or people aren't interested in your band, and you land a big playlist, then ultimately it's not going to mean anything. Right. Uh, right. So you, I mean, I think to a large extent, you know, bands and labels are still in control of their destiny and I want to ask you know I want to ask you about discovery as we're talking about this because you know I don't I, I struggle with figuring out how 
the average music fan discovers new bands because for me i follow record labels on twitter and so i see you guys posting about your new records i respect and admire you and i and i listen to those records but how does the in your opinion or or and from what you found how does the average music fan discover new music or discover your records (laughs) i you know that's a good question because i am I'm not the person who will discover things on Spotify or, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I'm, I'm like you as where, where I, I hear about something, you know, whether it's from a label I, I respect or, you know, from a publication I respect. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go to Spotify to listen to that, yeah. you know, that artist. And then I'll, you know, most of the times if it, if it's something I really like, I will buy records. You know, I'm all totally. about supporting that. Uh, but I don't like, randomly i'm not like a subscriber to like a certain playlist or anything <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh but i i know there are people who who are right. um and yeah, totally. i know there's people who are way more active on social media than i am you know i i the way i use twitter and facebook is pretty much it's very bare bones i'm not personally <laughs> i'm not very active you know will handles a twitter account okay. will and carl um so I, you know, there's tons of ways for people to to discover new music, and and for us too, uh, like I, this is going back to our bands being active and touring. I think that's a huge way of of in this scene connecting with people and getting them to, mm-hmm. you know, creating that fan base and, uh, you know, because our bands tour with other bands who may not be familiar with Tiny Engines, so there's that connection and. Um, a lot you know, of young bands are, are sorry to interrupt you a lot of young bands are scared of touring because they obviously they lose money on gas and hotels and they and um and you know four or five people uh show up to their shows what do you say to those bands when everyone says that touring is the way to find new fans well it's just it's forever it's been that way where you know if you're a young band and you've never toured you are going to lose money on your first few tours. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is. And I know it sucks. And I know like living on the road and sleeping on floors is not easy, yeah. but that is the way to create a, fu- a solid fan base, mm-hmm. a fan base that's going to stick with you throughout the years. And, you know, yeah. that's just that's how true. it is. You're right. you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's hard. You just got to do it. <laughs> you know, believe me, I, we deal with plenty of hard things as well. I, yeah. and it's maybe not t- in the touring realm, but you know, it sucks, but the more you do it, the, the more fans you'll get and you'll, you'll build up fans in certain areas. And the next time you come back, there'll be more people there and it, it just grows that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's just, it just is what it is. So that's, that's a good answer. I think that's a great answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you want me to tell you? Touring. I mean, it's hard being an indie rock band. If, if you ever, you know, if you're ever, uh, uh, thinking about starting an indie label or you're, you currently have a label and you, you're approached by a band who, where you really like the music, but you get a sense that they expect you to do everything, I would run the other way because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're just, it, 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 it won't be worth it. Yeah. Believe me. Believe it, me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. I mean, I, I one time had an artist say to me like, hey, like I have a couple weeks off work. Like, can I help 
is there anything I can help with, you know, with, cause their release was coming out in a few weeks or months. And I just was like, man, that's incredible. Like, of course there's tons. I mean, first of all, you can write your bio. Like there are tons of things that, yeah. that they can do. And, and it, it's like you said at the beginning of this chat that, you know, the, any time that a band is really involved, then it only can, can spell good things for their release. And the opposite, if the band is, is set back or they're a recluse or they're not interested, um, then it can just really hurt a release. Yeah. And I, and I, I will tell that to bands like, listen, you have to self manage your band and do stuff outside of what, you know, believe me, we do plenty of stuff for the bands. And yes, and we have a responsibility as well to, to provide certain things, but, if you're in a band, you have the responsibility to cultivate a fan base and and get out and tour and be active on social media and keep people interested as well. And mm-hmm. if you're not doing mm-hmm. that, you know it doesn't matter how much stuff we're doing. It's not gonna. Yeah. It basically, every, you know, every to have a successful release, every phase of of it from the label to the band, to the distro, to the PR, to the marketing, to everything has mm-hmm. to be, has to be, you know, chugging along. And even then it doesn't guarantee anything, yeah. but no, it sure it's does true. help. I, that is such a great point. It's such a simple point, but it's such a great point. I love it. Yeah. Is it getting easier or harder to run an indie label 10 years into it? Is your job getting easier? Um, well, I will say like 10 years in, I'm finally at the point where I'm like looking at looking at it more as as, as an actual business, like <laughs> looking at like having to do like the accounting stuff and just like looking at looking at things in a way that a real business would look at. Like not only, you know, obviously the foundation of wanting to release really cool records from bands that you want to support and you know doing something positive in that regard that's always there but now i'm also looking at it like well you know doing things that make sense and you know looking at the marketing aspect Mm -hmm. which we've never done and you know now that we're with a really good uh uh distro that gives us tons of tools and resources and has like a like a lot of employees and they're they're there to help us it's just more like an actual business. That's great. Uh, yeah, That's whereas, so you know, the first, I would say the first, you know, <laughs> for seven, eight years or more, like you're just kind of winging it. Yeah. And yeah. if you're lucky, you're surviving. Yeah. But uh, now it's like, you know, I'm, I'm 43, so I have to, you, have you know, to what am I going to do? I mean, <laughs> what am I going to do when I'm 50? Like, I, I, I sort of, I have to make it this thing it has to be something that could sustain us for the future because it's not like i can do anything else at this point really i love all the i love all the uh the comments that people say on twitter like you know for our listeners right now we're like four days away from christmas and this is the time of year where your extended family asks you what you do or if you're still doing yeah you still selling tapes yeah, exactly. Do you promote <laughs> bands? Do you promote shows? I'm like, no. <laughs> tell Grandma. I don't. Tell, I don't, <laughs> tell Grandma I don't what book you do. Shows. I don't record bands. I don't have a yes, recording studio. Yes, it's a recording studio. I've heard that from a lot of. La- There's got to be two or three labels I've heard where they get calls like, 
once a week, like asking like, if somebody can book their studio to record something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, it is what it is. I mean, there's, that's, you know, it's, that's um, why when people ask me, I'd, I'd never, you know, I don't really make a big deal of it. I mean, I usually try to avoid the topic because it's easier just to do that rather than try and explain yeah. shit. <laughs> hey thanks so much for doing this man i really appreciate it congratulations yeah, no on an incredible year and Thank such you. a great reputation so many people love you and i got it i got to give a shout out to uh fear of missing out records in the uk who connected us on twitter now you don't do the twitter i don't know if you know this but um i i had sent you guys an email about 11 months ago i'm not counting but 11 and a half months ago <laughs> uh inviting you to do the show and so if it wasn't for fear of missing out, um, you guys would have continued to ignore me. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's possible that, that, you know, there is a lot of emails that just get shuffled to the bottom I'm of the joking. pile. And I'm you know joking. how it is. And yeah. you're like, I actually just emailed someone back. Then it's been like four months. And it was just, I, you know, I knew it was in my inbox. <laughs> and it was just, it's just like way at the bottom of it. I just never looked back there. Well, and then I'm like, hey, four months turnaround time. Not bad. Not huh? bad. <laughs> well, being involved in like sending emails to people at, at a label and, and, and pitching music and press um, to, to send an email out and to send a bunch of emails out and to not hear back ever or 11 months is actually pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I would say if you had followed up, that probably would have, you know what? I probably should. Yeah. And I think I was just so self-conscious, especially the beginning when I was pitching before we had episodes done, I I was pitching and I thought, you know what, if they ignore me, they probably ignore me for a reason. So I'm not going to follow up. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly it's, um, and I usually do all the interviews. So if I missed it, will probably, he, I mean, he usually doesn't do the interviews and, and, so, and he'll be like, sometimes you'll be like, Hey, do you want to do this? But if yeah. he doesn't say that I'll, I might've missed it. I mean, right. <laughs> honestly, I wouldn't be that self-conscious about it. I would just uh, assume that it's people are busy and, oh, totally. you know, and, and, a, and a courteous follow-up in an appropriate amount of time is, is believe me, I, I appreciate, I also, I, I tell bands sometimes like, listen, I would rather you be annoying than not be you know then not email us at all because a lot of times it's just we're so busy that sometimes things just get shuffled to the bottom and then it just you you tend to forget about them so i'm like i would rather you just be be chatty because i i actually appreciate (laughs) that you know especially because you're our bands we're supposed to be working hard for you i mean obviously there's sometimes there's a line you can cross but uh (laughs) listen if you do it in a courteous you know moderate type of way then you know do it you know (laughs) (laughs) well this has been great thank you so much for doing this so so, so many little gems in here I really appreciate it and thank you for listening check out Tiny Engines at tinyengines.com tinyengines.bandcamp.com and on Twitter at Tiny Engines not only are all these episodes uploaded to our YouTube account at youtube.com slash other songs But for each episode, I do a little recap video featuring my takeaway from each episode. So visit youtube.com slash other songs to check those out. That happens later in the week. Thanks for listening.